The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Welcome to the Stockhead Wildcatter Report, and today we are talking with Andrew Purcell, who's the chairman of Melbana Energy. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. So, uh, Andrew, it's been a busy period for uh, Melbana. You've uh, uh, been working uh, to get your beehive project uh, farmed out up in the um, Bonaparte Gulf, and you've also got uh, your Cuba uh, Cuban permits in good standing and now uh, working to get some uh, wells drilled uh, in 2020. Perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be a chair of Melbana. We, we, you know, a lot of people will remember Melbana as MEO Energy and with other assets in the Timor Sea and in Australia. And now you've really fined down to these, uh, these interests in the Bonaparte Gulf and in Cuba. Sure, Peter. Well, my uh, career has mostly been in investment banking with Credit Suisse. And in, during that time, up in Asia, for a large part of it, I had a responsibility for the resources sector. I did a number of projects, uh, financing projects in Australia and in Asia, in the oil and gas and precious metal space. And uh, after my career in banking, whilst I was in Asia, one group that uh, had floated on the Singapore Exchange was looking for projects, and uh, I was involved in helping them farm into the Beehive project many years ago, which they did, uh, but then they didn't go ahead with it for various reasons. And uh, But during that process, I got to know uh, what is now Melbana well and the board well, and uh, uh, the board was... Uh, desiring a, a refreshment and I was asked to step in as chairman which I liked the projects and the people and I accepted. Well that's very good I know uh, Mike Sandy he was uh, studied geology with me at Melbourne University so yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So uh, perhaps you could just update us on WA uh, 488P. The latest we have is that the company's now waiting for Santos's decision whether to take up the full 80% uh, and if not uh, I understand you've you've got sort of plan B and plan C in the back pocket. You always have to have plan Bs and Cs in business and the, and the oil and gas business is uh, doubly so. But it's a very active part of the world up there at the moment. So, yeah, plan B and C are very much on foot. And so for the uh, listener, perhaps you could just run through what the uh, the opportunity there at Beehive is as with on the basis of that detailed 3D seismic that's been shot uh, recently. The prospect is that it's a carbonate reef and a lot of the world's great discoveries occur in carbonates. And we have a theory in the old MEO, which is why they went this way in the first place, is to open up this new play type in Australia to find a new material discovery. And, you know, that's taken a few iterations and a few years of various uh, studies. I mean, the the chaps in the technical department here at Melbourne are a, a first-rate um, geologist, you know, decades career 
decades-long career at ExxonMobil and their new ventures team looking for these sorts of opportunities, new opportunities that other people may have looked over. And they, and they came up with a working theory early about what Beehive may be, but there was only uh, an old vintage 2D seismic over it, which wasn't conclusive enough for a lot of people. Uh, it wasn't until we reprocessed that 2D that it was a stronger argument that this was indeed uh, a, a carbonate buildup uh, of some size. And of course, that was the basis on which we were able to attract the interest of a lot of majors. But ultimately, we provided the option to Total and Santos, who wanted to do additional studies on it. And that was the 3D seismic that they funded and processed. And the results of that were superb and, and, when, and, and, and validated the earlier opinions of our geologists that this was a carbonate buildup. And um, the prospect itself is quite close to the uh, gas field, the black tip gas field that E&I is currently uh, producing from and delivering gas into the Northern Territory. Uh, but this uh, beehive structure is at a different uh, geological time frame and is in a, carbon, in a carbonate, as you say, above the Ordovician, which is very similar in age to the Ngani oil field in the Canning Basin. I think there's some analogies there between the two uh, prospects. Yes, correct. Uh, Ngani was a, a success in a carboniferous carbonate too. And the fact that we selected 488 and, and put a, a, a bit into the gazettal process those years ago was not just because of the theory of the carbonate buildup, but also because of its proximity to existing infrastructure. Having a discovery at Black Tip with a pipeline going back to Darwin right next door gives us the next stage of accessibility for getting this project funded and developed in a faster time frame. Uh, because these are all steps in commercialising a discovery that you want to accelerate and cheapen as much as possible when coming up as a junior with a proposal for people to want to invest in. And that's right. I mean, in shallow water, you could use the cheaper equipment, a jack-up rig, uh, and you're not drilling in deep water, which is also adds expenses. So uh, drilling should be fairly inexpensive in that part of the world. And if there is gas associated with any oil, then you have a path to market uh, marked out with that pipeline going in through Wadi. Correct. So, um, Andrew, over in Cuba, uh, the company has uh, worked on its Block 9, has uh, the, that permit in good standing, uh, 100% equity in that permit, and has plans to drill two wells uh, next year. So you're now targeting something like 236 million barrels in two prospects, but uh, waiting now to see uh, how negotiations go with potential farmingese. Correct. And that has been something that we have been keen to recommence. We had a farm out done about this time last year with a Chinese drilling company. Uh, who had the very best of intentions, but unfortunately were unable to get to first base on the approvals they needed out of China, it appears. 
And so we terminated that agreement in April and then we had lost six months. So we had to go back through the regulatory process in order to extend the time frame we had to drill a well because there was no point trying to introduce a new partner given how long that process takes when there was a well commitment to be drilled by November of this year. But that's now done. We have got all of our regulatory ducks in a row. Um, we have until November of next year now uh, to do that well. So once that was awarded or agreed with the regulators about a month ago or so now, we picked up the conversations with two parties in particular that had been showing a good deal of interest in Block 9 and we're waiting for the regulatory approvals to get back on foot and we've made good progress with them since. So, And Andrew, I'm, there there is uh, been a little bit of exploration and uh, development drilling going on in Cuba recently. Is there equipment, drilling equipment available and how how cost effective would that be in Cuba or would you need to bring something in from somewhere else? Well, I don't ever use the word cost-effective drilling in, in Cuba, Peter. It's uh, unfortunately uh, hamstrung a little bit by the yes. US embargo. So you don't have the prolific numbers of rigs and service companies available to you that you would elsewhere in the region. But the the Chinese are prevalent there and with their drilling rigs. Uh, there's at least two Russian companies big Russian companies, they're drilling that I know of um, with their rigs in country. The Canadians are there. Um, and Cuba, Cuba has QPET, the national oil company themselves, which they're with their own rigs and drilling programs. And Schlumberger is there, for example. Baker Hughes is not, but Schlumberger is. Uh, so you you have got the the infrastructure there to to do things without having to invent the wheel. But it does cost a little bit more. Uh, however, we're very confident that with the rigs that we've identified uh, that are in-country, uh, that are available with crews and inventory in one case for next year, we can get these wells drilled, uh, the first at least, certainly, once we have a farm out concluded. And the, the targets there are quite complex compared with what you see in the northern part of the Gulf of Mexico. Um, you know, you've got sort of a lot of tectonics it, it looks uh more like papua new guinea with the overthrusts and sort of lots of faults going everywhere so uh it, it seems from your seismic data that you have a lot of prospects where there might be two or three zones that can be targeted from just one well yes you've you've summarized it very well but the heavily faulted uh, geology that you refer to indeed it's like new guinea um, is the expertise and specialty of our technical team and this indeed this is what took us into cuba in the first place where we thought could a small company uh, apply its competitive advantage uh, in a way that we don't have to compete with majors. We wanted big targets. We wanted places where we didn't have to compete with majors. We wanted secure, competent jurisdictions where we could have confidence of title and our people would be safe operating. But, you know, this heavily folded geology, you know, we looked in Myanmar, we looked in Iran, we looked in um, New Guinea, we looked in Cuba. When we put all those various variables together and ranked them, Cuba came out on tops. Yeah, how do the fiscal terms compare in 
uh, in Cuba? Quite, quite favourably. Quite favourably. The, the, the tax um, concessions are, are good. The tax rate is comparable to uh, most developed nations. Uh, and the tax-free period that we've been given in our 25-year uh, contract is, is long. Is there a royalty uh, associated with production? No, we're in a production sharing contract with the uh, Cuban okay. National Oil Company, so uh, we just split what we find. Yeah, okay. And and that's a, what what sort of a split is that? Uh, it's commercial in confidence, but I can say it's it's typical of yes. a, a PSC. You know, generally these always start at a near to fifty fifty type of a you get to recover your costs first yes you then share it 50 50 ish and then as production increases the state tends to keep more than the company that's found and, and funded the work and your technical people have have assigned a sort of 32 percent probability of success to these targets so that in most cases is considered to be quite a good uh, target Indeed, and, and not just our technical people. We had the resource uh, independently assessed by McDaniels and Associates um, in Canada, who are very familiar with a respected consultant globally, but they're very familiar with Cuba in particular, and, and they validated that number too. And it's a good number, as you put out. And uh, you've also got the Santa Cruz project, which is a existing or discovery, oil discovery, but you're looking at ways of of enhancing or getting some sort of oil to flow from that uh, project. There's, men, there's many options for Santa Cruz, and we're very excited about getting into that. Um, as you say, it's an existing oil field that's been in production for over a decade. It's got you know, 15 plus wells producing. It's got modern 3D seismic over it. It's had no technology applied to the field um, we can do a lot with it, uh, and we hope to be doing more in that in the new year. So at the moment, the company's trading has a market capitalization of about $20 million, uh, something in the order of $2 million in the bank, and you're waiting on Beehive for Santos to decide what they're going to do early in December, and then you're waiting... Uh, with these negotiations in Cuba. And in the meantime, just to keep yourself busy, you've made a takeover bid uh, for Medgasco, a company which you have some familiarity with. Uh, that um, takeover bid is on the table now and uh, that runs until... Uh, when does the, um, the takeover bid... Uh, Mid-December, mid the, the offer is open to. So at the moment you have... Uh, just under 20% of Metgasco, and you're waiting to see uh, how the other shareholders respond. Oh, that's that's right. Yeah, it's just just a little over 20%. Uh, I think Melbana has reported that it has an acceptances so far. Most of that, as you point out, comes from me. And I believe we will wait and see what happens over the next few weeks as news develops, as you point out, with our projects. Uh, it's a script offer. Uh, we're offering four of our shares for one of Medgasco's. And if our share price was to improve because of a favourable development uh, with one of the projects you've mentioned, either through a farm out in Cuba or uh, a decision by Santos to proceed with Beehive yes. or both, uh, then that uh, improvement in the share price that may result from that, assuming Medgasco's share price hasn't moved, then 
it would make the offer more compelling and perhaps one would expect that the acceptance rate from Medgasco shareholders would then increase. That's right. Currently, uh, for the listener, uh, Medgasco is trading at about 4.1, 4.2 cents and uh, Melbana is at about 0.9. So uh, just under Metgasco's price, whereas Melbana's share price was to go up to 1.1 or 1.2 cents, then it would be worthwhile for Metgasco shareholders to consider that offer. So uh, uh, really, uh, Andrew, we've, we've covered the, the three main areas, which is uh, what's going on in the Bonaparte Gulf, uh, Cuba, and also with the takeover for uh, Metgasco, are, are there anything else? Is there anything else that the company's doing and uh, moving forward with uh, at the moment? Nothing we can talk about publicly yet, Peter. Uh, we will, when things firm up a little bit and are announceable. But perhaps I would I would conclude by saying the reason that I invested in this company and the reason I got involved with it. It was the people, the quality, uh, and, the, and their projects. But what they have in common is that they're going for elephants. I mean, the Block 9 onshore, I mean, the Gulf of Mexico is a prolific hydrocarbon zone. And Cuba's, Cuba's got a prolific uh, oil industry along its northern coastline already. We're adjacent to an 11 billion barrel oil field. We're looking to drill in a field where there's been previous discoveries. Um, we are very excited by the potential scale. As as with Beehive, it's a 400 million barrel equivalent best estimate uh, prospective resource. But when these things work, these carbonates, when they work, they work in a very big way. And so the high side estimate is an order of magnitude bigger. You know, it's billions of barrels. So this is what we offer shareholders, a little company with a footprint on assets of massive potential scale. That's right. And if you if you retain a 20% interest in a 400 million barrel discovery, um, you know, sort of 70 million barrels to your account, um, would, uh, you know, the market would give you probably six or seven hundred million dollars worth of value for that. Um, and with the market cap of 20 million today you know, there's plenty of leverage there for for six for exploration success that's why little companies like ours with this sort of portfolio are worth a bit of your investment portfolio not all of it but the risk end of the yep. spectrum you need a bit of us for a bit of alpha kick absolutely all right well we're going to be watching very closely and let's hope it's a, a happy christmas for your shareholders andrew i do indeed hope it will be thank you very much peter 